Carrie. And I'm Diana. And you're listening to Fiction Kitchen, where we're cooking with inspiration from our favorite books, movies, and TV. Today we're talking about Pan's Labyrinth, written and directed by Guillermo del Toro. This might be the first episode of Fiction Kitchen that I lose it on, because this movie makes me super emotional, and I'm already feeling teary thinking about the lullaby music I'm going to put for the intro. Yeah, I I also had emotions. So this is, <laughs> yeah, thank you for, and this was your choice. Yes. Um, so thank you for, because this is my, also my first time seeing it, so thanks for picking it. Oh, I, no problem. Yeah. I hope you liked it. So yeah, I, I can't yeah. wait to talk about it. Um, but before we do that, let's do Tasty Time. Tasty time. Because, um, as we were just talking right before this, usually we <laughs> usually we pick our stuff independently, um, and like just tell each other. Sometimes right before, or sometimes not even until we get to it. But this is another fiction kitchen first. We picked the same one this week. Yeah. <laughs> Which is drumroll, pretty cake machine. Yeah. Who is awesome? Her name's. Katarina McCauley, and um, I think we're, we're both friends with her on social media, and so, you know, yeah, kind of follow she's in the... our, our fiction food community. Yeah. <laughs> the, cir- yeah. the circle of friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so she's, she's a yeah, pastry. She... Yeah, she's a pastry chef. Mm-hmm. And she loves fictional things, too. She sure does. <laughs> like yeah. yeah. Yeah, so she's like a professional baker, and she's always making beautiful desserts um like some of the, my favorite ones she done is um she did desserts for all the sailor scouts which yeah. were pretty cute and i think the reason you thought of her recently is the stuff she's doing right now for gravity falls yeah so so i i chose to do her uh, to feature her today because uh well february 15th is the series finale for gravity falls which is one of my favorite cartoon shows and um, she is making a gingerbread mystery shack. So it's so she's showing like um, process photos. And anyway, all, yeah, like you said, all of her, the foods that she creates, it's very, like she has a very um, elegant flair and like, um, uh, it's definitely food art. Like I love yes. what she builds. Yeah, very creates. detailed, yeah. very, yeah, professional looking. Yeah. The reason I thought of her for this is, um, like, a while back I had tweeted something about Pan's Labyrinth, and she said it was her favorite movie. So I'm like, oh, well, she would be perfect for this episode. So I think we want to go ahead and dedicate this episode to you, Pretty Cake Machine. (laughs) And we hope you enjoy it. (laughs) Awesome. So let's get into Pan's Labyrinth. Um, you know, as you were just saying, this is your first time seeing it. I've seen this movie several times. Like, there's there's not a whole lot of movies that I rewatch, but I do have a handful, and this is one of them that I like to go back to, like, every couple years. Um, so, so what do you think about it? Or what did you think about it? Oh, right now I'm thinking of... The Fifth Element is the one, is my, is the one that I have watched oh, okay, that's many your, times. Okay, that's your movie. <laughs> okay, and now my brain is onto your question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I enjoyed it. So yes, this was the first time that I watched it, and I watched it um, several days ago. So like I was, I was telling you before we started recording, I was like, I wish I had watched it maybe last night, so it would be like cl- clearer in my mind. <laughs> yeah. But um, 
But yes, I even had a nightmare about the pale man of, a few mornings ago. So yeah, <laughs> so it, that part it, is super creepy. Definitely like st- stuck in my <laughs> in my <laughs> mind. Um, I enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely uh, because of that fairy tale aspect. That's that's what I I really enjoyed, and just the the cinematography. Um, I don't know what wording to use, but it was very. Um, prettily crafted, I guess, mm-hmm. the, the scenes, and, um, so I had kind of, like, a smoothness to it, like, a glossiness to it, which, it, because of the fairy taleness. Yeah. But then it's, like, juxtaposed to the, the time period and the, the environment, which was the Spanish Civil War, so it was, like, or the, like towards the end of that. Anyway, so it was like these horrors happening, these terrible things happening, but then there's this fairy tale that's like side by side with it, and then just the way that, that it was filmed. Yeah, like it was very darkly was, beautiful and dreamy, and then you have this like gritty yes. real world stuff going on, but they are paralleling each other, so yeah. Yes, you put it so much. <laughs> Thank you, words. <laughs> yes, that. <laughs> Yeah, we're really going to break it down because there's like a ton of mythology in this. But um, yeah, just a brief um, background on the time period and then like an overview of the story. Um, It does take place um, during the Spanish Civil War and kind of near the end of it, like the the fat... The fascists are winning, so this this um or I think they've actually won at this point, but there's still some like kind of rebel uprisings. So the Spanish Civil War took place between 1936 and 1939, between the Republicans and the fascists, and the fascists won. Um, and General um, Francisco Franco um was in power until 1975 when he died. So, um, and now you know in the in the modern times we you know have the general notion that fascist equals bad and that's certainly the case in these movies because the fascist characters are just evil like there's no gray area um, and is that the same as saying nationalists fascists and nationalists are they the same I think so or is like a so, different... yeah I think the fascists okay. were the nationalists and the other group was the republicans the republicans okay yeah um, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, not he was depicted so terribly. Yes, like, he was awful. Uh, I mean, um, so <laughs> I did. So I did have to like cover my eyes for a couple of. Oh my. <laughs> Especially once one scene in particular with a bottle that had oh, had a bottle yes, as a weapon. Yes. Yeah, I, I was like, <laughs> eh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, he was terrible. <laughs> okay. uh, there, there's this movie like. When you see the trailer for it and stuff, you're like, oh, it's a dark fairy tale. But there are some, like, violent things that happen. Like, the bottle murder, and then the fish hooking later is really awful. And, like, having to sew up his mouth. And Yeah, there's some really, yeah, just gruesome stuff that happens. Um, But, yeah, just to give an overview, um, it's about... The main character is a little girl named Ophelia. And, um... She her her father was um, died in the war, and her mother has married this fascist general um, who's going to take care of them, and she's pregnant. Um, so they're going to meet him, and um, let's see. Yeah, he's this really awful fascist guy, <laughs> basically. And um, there's there's some other people there, like um, there's one 
one person who works there in particular, Mercedes, who, like, really takes a liking to Ophelia and kind of takes care of her. Um, And during this time, you know, like, really awful things are happening in Ophelia's, like, actual life, so she kind of develops this, like, fantasy life she's got going on. Like, she's a very bookish girl, loves fairy tales, um, and um, one night meets this, this fawn who gives her three tasks to do before the full moon. So she goes off on this series of tasks, and, you know, mean, meanwhile, her real life's getting worse and worse, um, and it just culminates in this horrific scene, but, um, you know, it's kind of a bittersweet ending because she does kind of go back to the underworld to be the princess from the story that she came from, so, um, yeah, it's just a well, really beautiful, yeah. heartbreaking tale. Well, that's one of those things, it's like... Is it real, or is it all just in her mind? Yeah, it it could be a complete fantasy, or it could be, yeah, that she's just innocent enough to be receptive to all this stuff. Yeah, Yeah. but but then it's like, there are parts of her fantasy that affect the real world, so it's like, well, it must be. Yeah, there is some kind of stuff that breaks through, and yeah, um, yeah. So. Because because like at the end, when the movie ended and it's yeah it was very um, cathartic I guess or emo- emotional and, and moving um, but and then it's like it made me think back over the film and because it's like oh is this one of those yeah where you're like wait was it you know right. but then <laughs> but then yeah I think I I think yeah that it was real but also but the the whole point was that it was a commentary about like innocence being caught up in these horrible things and yeah yeah. because i mean it it really is i mean these wars belong to grown-ups and it's the children that suffer yeah yes um and also also it was interesting because the like fantasy like yeah like beautiful fantasy well kind of gross fantasy sometimes too but anyway yes, it was yeah very, never mind not beautiful fantasy. but like it was well, like very said, dark dreamy. it wasn't yeah it yeah. wasn't like com- these were like the old times tales yeah like when we talked about Grimm's and like the yeah the the dark depraved kind exactly. of exactly this but still this, this like, wasn't the the disney version <laughs> yeah but still like you said dreamy you used the word dreamy like it still of course had that surreal quality because it is fantasy but so there's that and then like this gritty real world but it so it's it's interesting because putting them side by side like there are so many parallels but also yeah it it was just interesting as a viewer to be watching these like two stories because it's her story Ophelia's story and her tasks and that she's doing but then it goes to like Mercedes and the things that she's doing and the what was the guy's name? The bad guy, Vidal. It's Vidal, yeah. Um, Vidalia onions. <laughs> yeah. <Just sorry. laughs> um, yeah. So it was just interesting the the kind of back and forth between those, and I'm not really sure what I'm trying to say, but like, <laughs> it was just interesting the juxtaposition of the different stories. Like Ophelia was the main character, but very much focused on, you know, the the other characters too and what they were doing in in the real world (laughs) yeah Yeah, this is one of those movies that like i feel like there's a lot of details like 
that's one of the reasons I can keep watching it because like I'll kind of pick up on little things each time and there are yeah details from both you know from both worlds like from the fantasy stuff going on that kind of pop up in the real world like for example like one of the first tasks she has to do is to um go into this tree to retrieve a key that is in the belly of a toad and then later Mm -hmm. like a very similar key pops up in the real world where um mercedes is giving it to her brother um what's his name um pedro who is a who is one of the um like resistance fighters that's hiding in the hills or whatever she gives him a key to get to the supplies and food and stuff you know so like just little details like that that pop up in both places i didn't understand why he also exploded the place but used the key it's like you didn't even need the key if you're gonna explode the place to like open the store (laughs) (laughs) because it was very obvious that like, because, yeah, Vidal, that was, like, the first thing he noticed. Yeah, he's like, well, this whole thing blew up, but the lock wasn't the forced. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's like, ah, stupid brother. <laughs> putting putting Mercedes in danger. Ugh. But, yeah. This is why you but guys know lost she can the take war. Care of herself. <laughs> yeah. So, Ophelia, the name uh, immediately reminds me of Hamlet, and she was no so that character was kind of a representation of of like madness or like fem, female madness, and that she yeah was often seen kind of like wild looking not wild like crazy well I mean but like her with flowers in her hair or yeah like a, a kind of belonging hair down and belonging physique. to nature more than like yeah. the world of people or whatever yeah yeah so there's yeah there's definitely parallels with the name like that's one of the first things that pops out because it is such like a beautiful romantic name with a very well-known literary character that yeah has about it. madness about yeah. madness exactly so like is this little girl mad because i mean like it's a vi- we've talked about before like you know having this rich fantasy world is very much a coping mechanism, you know? So, yeah, like, like escapism. And, exactly. Yeah. Like, she could be just imagining this whole thing and her name kind of suggests that. Yeah, and that's what, at one point in the film, where and this is where, like, the fantasy uh, very hardcore leaks over into reality or what is the quote, like unquote real world, um, where her mom gets super upset at her about like her mom is so kind and sweet and loving um but then at one point she snaps and it's like there is no magic like you can't yeah like she's exasperated with her you know she's like you've got to kind of come back to reality and face this yeah so so there is the idea that like it it is known that she or assumed that she is yeah like mentally doing this escapism and stuff that mm-hmm. Ophelia is. Yeah. But what and we'll get into it later, but that scene is what it what's triggered by it what triggers that scene is could be seen as that fantasy world coming into the reality like that it is true. So, yeah, anyway. that is one of the points where well yeah. I mean we can go ahead well, and, and what oh, do we want to Yeah, talk let's about go ahead and talk about <laughs> it. Like I've got a whole list of like <clears throat> mythology stuff and that's one of them and like we don't necessarily need to go chronologically. So like I mean yeah let's okay, talk about cool. that. So her mother is from the very beginning, like when they're traveling, like she she's pregnant but she's having a very rough pregnancy. Like she looks awful. She's, you know, sick and um once they get to where they're going, like, she's bedridden, 
And um, yeah, and the doctor said like he shouldn't have moved her, but the husband Vidal, he's like, well, I want my son to be he, born here. Yeah, all he so he didn't even know, like he didn't even care about her well being. Yeah, in fact, he it's tells like, the doctor like if it comes down to saving the mother or the baby, save the baby. Yeah, yeah. so like she's basically just a vessel for his son. Um, yeah, so she's she's bedridden, and of course Ophelia, Ophelia is worried about her, so she tells the fawn, um, and he gives her like a mandrake root to put under the bed <clears throat> in a bowl of milk, and she feeds it with her blood, um, okay. and this is kind of, so the mom starts doing a little bit better once she does that. Yeah, so that, so that right there is like a, a proof, because the doctor that's, that's there excuse me he he says that it's a miracle like the, he's very surprised that the mother has gotten better um i mean to the degree that she wasn't like 100 percent better but like yeah she was at least stable you know yeah and, 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 he, they, and they, they weren't worried surprised. about yeah they weren't worried about her like life anymore yeah um, so that's kind of proof that uh, that the fantasy was real right like, that the, so it was, yeah the mandrake root and so that's yeah mandrake root I don't like maybe these days people are like oh yeah magic root from Harry, Harry Potter, Potter. <laughs> you know? but it's like <laughs> J.K. Rowling chose magic root because it already had like this huge um, mythology to it like dating back well dating back medicinally m like much farther um, <clears throat> than it was mag so, so do you magical. know <laughs> do you know specifically what it was used for <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, yes, so it, so which is interesting um, because it was it was used for um, f well um, magically. <laughs> it was used for um, like fertility, mm -hmm. like a fertility charm. Um, so in that sense, like having to do with childbirth, and, yeah, and that, it it makes sense. But I think a lot um, medicinally, yeah, it, medicinally it was uh, it, it and sometimes it was used. Um, for abortions, uh. or um, I have to look up this word again. In menagogue, it's about blood. <laughs> Let me look it up again. I like I looked okay, it up, so and all, then I totally forgot. All reproductive <clears throat> stimulate issues. blood flow in the uterus. Okay, yeah. So, so all... stimulate menstruation. Yeah. So an abortion goes along with that. Yeah. So all reproductive issues. Yeah. I was just gonna say that like a lot, a lot Excuse of these me. like magical things. Um, come from like what the plant resembles you know like so the like the mandrake yes, and <laughs> the mandrake root looks like a baby you know because it's like got all these like weird rooty things growing out of it and stuff you know mm -hmm. and then in this um in the movie in particular like it looks like a baby like when they when they discover it under the bed um like Vidal discovers it but this is where her mother like just gets exasperated with her and is yeah. like you need to quit this you know, nonsense, and she throws the root in the fire, and it's like I would have been like, "Go get!" It. I was like, "Ophelia, like go!" I know, like dive into the root, fire, like, yeah. just pull it. Out. It's not because it's, it's not like writhing like... and screaming on the flame, and it does look like a baby, you know. And her mother immediately goes into labor, you know, and and ends up yeah. dying in childbirth. So, I mean, that that's another thing that like, I was we... wondering if the baby was going to die. I was like. But then, but then I kind of knew that the mom was going to die because it kind of, like, that had to be something to compel Ophelia to, like, leave. Because I didn't think that she would be able to go to, to leave her to the underworld there. with her mom. Yeah. Or that she would leave her mom behind. So it's but like it the is... mom kind of had to die. Yeah. yeah. 
It's so beautiful at the end, though, because her, her mother's sitting there on the throne, and she's the queen, you know, so she yeah. she's reunited with her mother, because her mother is very sweet to her. Yeah. And clearly loves her, yeah. And so one of the um, instructions or directions for mandrake root was to put it in a bowl of milk ah. or wine, uh, and then feed it, but, like... There isn't like one specific thing. Like it doesn't like what's not put it in milk and feed it blood. So that yeah, was what, what do of, you feed it? Yeah. <laughs> so she. Yeah. So, but but she was told to feed it blood, which is you know again the sim- symbolic of like if because the idea was that it to feed it and to kind of bring it to life, and right. so of course blood would be the thing. And and I think that that was um, foreshadowing. That Ophelia used her own blood because it didn't even say like whose blood to use. I mean, it could have been animal blood or whatever, but she used her own blood, which is kind of symbolic about the ending of the right because she uses her own blood to open the portal. Yeah, yeah, because the fawn had asked for her brother's blood, the blood of an innocent, but she was also an innocent, so her blood worked. <laughs> yeah, and of course, and I'm like, oh well, if it's just a few drops, like. <laughs> I'm you're so like, bad. You're like, cut the baby. <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 you know, it would have been like, oh, well, well, I guess she wouldn't assume that she's innocent, though. But from an outside perspective, it's like, oh, she's also a child. So that works. But like, right, right. I don't, so I don't know in her mind if she would be like, oh, wait, I'm innocent, too. Yeah, so probably I'm not. Just... And and he did specifically <laughs> ask for the baby. So, like, you know, I'm sure she was just assuming. Yeah. Yeah. And I was curious, like, I'm curious like, what would have happened if the mandrake had not been discovered like would it yeah i mean maybe her mother would it have turned into a baby well maybe her mother just would have given birth to a healthy baby yeah or or where was that the the end or yeah so i was like i wonder was was that the reason was just and then you discard the mandrake later or like what would happen to this well maybe because like i mean that's another like magical thing that people do sometimes like if if someone's very sick you can like use a plant as kind of like a parallel to make them healthy so you really have to take care of that plant to make it healthier and yeah kind of make the person healthier as you do this um and then i think there are like certain ways you can discard it that are like you either planted or dispose of it some way you know so i'm sure like you know the mandrake root was being used for the time period it was needed, but I think, like, after the birth, you could probably just, you know... Yeah, so I was just, just curious just about it. Because, yeah. Because it was, you know, it's like in the beginning when there's that statue and he's, and the fawn is like, that's, the man is me, and then the girl is you, and she's like, well, what about the baby? And he's like, um, and then this other thing, like, <laughs> he, like, totally glosses over it, and, and so I, so, you know, in my mind, I was like, oh, I wonder if... Yeah. You know, but well, I like how the fawn is so tricky like that. You know, because you're you're never sure if he's well. Because Mercedes said, "Oh, like you need to be careful, fawns." Like she was remembering her fairy tales from being a kid, and that you know you have fawns are tricksy. So right, so it wasn't like this fairy godmother showed up to kind of like guide her through these situations. Like he came and like first of all, he's very creepy looking. He like he's not the classic like fawn like half human half deer yeah he person. looks kind of like he, 
stone, almost yeah, like stone, or, and he's, or like a tree, like a he's kind of rooty yeah. and kind of kinda blends in. That yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like very much kind of wild and from nature, like we were saying. But yeah, like the stuff he tells her is can be interpreted different ways and like at one point he gets really mad at her because he you know he gave her specific instructions for like the second task and she doesn't listen to him and so he comes back and he's like I'm not talking to you I'm done with you you know like this is never gonna happen you screwed all of us over basically because you know we're all depending on you to complete these tasks and um yeah and I was wondering is he just some random fantasy creature trying to use her like, just trying to use an innocent girl to, like, open the portal for him. Right. For himself. Yeah, yeah. And you're never, but, you're but never sure, like, that, like, what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So I like that, it, you know, the audience is kind of, like, trying to guess his yeah. intentions. But then I, I really like in the end <clears throat> where he he walks out from between the the thrones of the king and queen of the underworld and he's like you made it or you know whatever mm-hmm. he says but it's like a reunion and it's like oh yeah that guy we like him like, <laughs> oh like you he was a good yeah, guy the whole time you're good <laughs> after all so that was yes. kind of interesting because like there's lots of moral ambiguity in the fantasy world because you're never sure yeah if the if the fauna is actually good or bad um ophelia completes her tasks but not necessarily, like, in a clear way, you know, because she does mm-hmm. definitely disobey instructions, like, a couple times, you know, like, she eats food from the underworld, she refuses to sacrifice her brother, um, even after being told specifically to, so, like, she she makes choices, and, like, how she completes her tasks becomes important, whereas in the real world, like, there's no gray area at all. Like, Vidal is evil. Mercedes is good. The mother is good. Like, I mean, the the people there are very clear, um, mm-hmm. like, what their motivations are. And so, yeah, there's not a lot of ambiguity there. So I, I kind of like that they did that, because usually it's the opposite. You know, you've got, like, an evil character, but they have, like, an interesting world, yeah. backstory. Like, I mean, that is not the case here. I mean, like, Vidal maybe has, like... The one redeeming quality that, like, his father was important to him and his son is important to him, but those things make him do awful things. So, I mean, they're not even that much of a redeeming quality. It's more just an interesting quality. Um, yeah. yeah, but, like, the, the fantasy world is very gray. Oh, yeah. and one thing I, I wanted to mention about the Mandrake Root is that, like, whenever it's used, it has to... I mean, unless you want to use it to kill somebody, like, it has to be... Like, it's very much on the edge of either it can like put someone in in a a sleep for while you do surgery or something like mm-hmm. so it can be used um to help but then also very easily if you, if it's just the wrong amount then it can kill someone oh, okay. so like so like there's that kind of edge to it yeah that it like has to be a balance and a so, medicine or a poison yes yeah, so yeah. and so that was very much i think in the in the movie it's like you know, you had to do these specific things, and she, you know, and Ophelia was, she was following the instructions the phone gave her, and things were going well, but then the moment it was discovered, you know, it, that was the end of it, like, that, yeah, anyway, and then it, and then it proved to work for death, instead of, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, because who knows, if she hadn't have put the mandrake root, like, her mother would have been very sick, but maybe she would have survived, you know? You don't know. Yeah. So. Mm. So anyway, yeah, so that was cool, the man- mandrake. So, yeah, and it was, yeah, it's interesting that it it was, um, 
used for medicine before it was used for magic. But then it's but now it's like we only think of it as a magical item. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so yeah, speaking of Vidal being totally evil, like he is pretty much the parallel to the pale man. Yeah. Should we just start talking yeah, let's about... Talk, <laughs> let's talk about the Pale Man, because this is one of the creepiest parts of the movie. So I totally... Yeah, yeah so it was one, <laughs> one morning, I was thinking about, like, I... It's like, you know how you... It's still not time to wake up, like, it's just like the wee hours of the morning, and then you kind of, like, fall back asleep after th- maybe vaguely waking up and thinking about some things. So I guess I, like, vaguely woke up and thought about the podcast or something. <laughs> I don't know. So somehow, like, the pale man was in my mind. I was, like, totally having, like, nightmares. <laughs> or morning morning, morning mirrors or something. I don't like, blame you. <laughs> pale man. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. So it's the same... Um, underneath all the makeup and stuff is the same actor who was the fawn. Right. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> so he played both of those parts. And that's oh. that's one very cool thing about, like, this movie is there's not a whole lot of CG. I mean, there is some, but, like, a lot of it's practical effects, and so it does have, like, mm-hmm. a very cool look to it. And I think this this actor was, like, also one of the, like, Hellboy people, right? I think I read that somewhere. Perhaps. Yeah. Like, so he, yeah. he's worked with Guillermo really del Toro in, in other movies. Yeah. So. And I love his I love the Fawn's voice. I mean, I don't know if it, if he also did the voice, he, but... He did not, yeah, like, I read about oh, this, because okay, he's... Okay. I think he's American, so he does not speak Spanish. Um, uh, yeah, so there, like, yeah, there's, like, a whole story behind this. So he learned the Spanish lines, um, but they ended up dubbing him over with somebody else who, like, spoke it fluently, but because he had learned it and was saying it, like, his, his mouth movements matched up. Uh, oh, and just, like, one quick note on, like, the way yeah. the fawn speaks. And, like, yeah, then we'll go back to the pale man, because I want to talk about him. But, um, like, I don't mention this often, but I was a Spanish major. <laughs> and so, like, the reason I the reason I don't is because, like, I should be a lot more fluent than I am. Um, but I did pretty decent during this movie. But, like, um, one thing that you can definitely notice is the way the fawn speaks is he uses the... Um, the vos form, which, like, no one really uses anymore. Like, in, in Spain and Argentina, mm. they still say vosotros, which is, like, the plural form of it. But he says, like, vos sois in, instead of um, tu eres, you know, um, which more modern people would say. And it's, like, a very archaic way of speaking. So it's kind of cool mm. that, like, the fawn has a kind of, I guess it would it be... matches. Yeah, it would yeah. be kind of, like, the equivalent of speaking, like, kind of old English type stuff, you know, so he, he definitely has, like, a very ancient, archaic way of speaking, which is kind of cool. Yeah, so the idea is that he has been waiting for the princess's return for a long centuries, time, yeah. right? Like, yeah. centuries. So is it that she... So it's not... It's the, it's her soul was... has been reborn into other bodies, so it's not that it's her original body, Right, like yeah. Ophelia is the soul of Moana, but not. It's not like she Moana was Ophelia when she left, because Ophelia was born here, like of her mom and human. But it's was isn't that like that's the idea that Moana left centuries ago and died, but then her soul. 
Yeah, I mean... still on Earth and being reborn in human girls. Yeah. I guess... Right? Did they specifically say that? Or, I mean, that makes sense to me. Because I think yeah. that it mentions, like, something about, like, that her body will be different when she returns. Oh, okay, yeah. So. And the... Like the king was like, I'll wait for you. I'll wait for your soul to return or something like, but it will be in a different body. I don't know, so something like that. So I think, but that, but that would make sense. Like if the fawn left at the time that Moana did to find her, and then so he's been there, like on just waiting for her for centuries, you know. Yeah, and she finally so he's like, that old. Yeah, makes her way back. S- speaking. Boldly. <laughs> anyway, yeah, and I love the scene where she hugs him. I yeah, it's like she thought he had abandoned her, and he sh- shows well, up. Well, and then it was her mom died, and the, everything went to crap. Yeah, like, like he showed up at a very so difficult was, time for her. Yeah, yeah, he's giving her another chance, and she rushed to him and hugged him. And yeah, I, I love yeah. that scene. And he's like, oh, it's almost yes. like they were making up after their fight because he had like yelled at her before yeah. for not. Well, I think he was probably. And then looking back. It's like that he, like at first, it's like is he angry at her because he messed it up? Like she messed it up because now he can't use the portal to go back home, or because we didn't know if he was good or bad or just you know manipulating her or not at that point. But then it's like when you look back, it's like he was angry at her because she she disobeyed and she could have been killed. Right. Yeah. So and, it was like and the, all could have been lost. It was like a protective she, she thing wouldn't return. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Anyway, well, let's okay. not let's not forget this pale man, <laughs> the pale man thread because ooh. I don't want uh, the pale man. Okay, so <laughs> he is this we like, talked about him. tall, gangly creature. <laughs> he has no uh, well, his eyeballs are on like a platter in front of him, and so all Ophelia had to do she picked up the eyes. Like I would have been afraid that this motionless monster would suddenly right. like, grab my arm if I reached my hand in front of him. Yes. But she, like, picks up the plate, and then she puts it back. Like, you should have just thrown him in the fire or, like, <laughs> move them farther away or something. Because, really, yeah. if he had woken up and couldn't find his eyes, it would have been, like, the fates, you know, with their one eye, and then they can't, like, they're fumbling around. Anyway, but, like, if he didn't have his eyes readily available he never would have been able to follow her or right yeah know, she could have, have gotten away in. completely or if she, she could have totally like stolen all the food <laughs> or if she just didn't eat any food like come on Ophelia. i was so freaking upset like <laughs> so in my notes yeah and out loud i'm like i was like all capitals with exclamation points but like out loud i was like oh my gosh because i don't believe she would have done that because she was a smart clever girl. She was, and she didn't, like, I don't know if she's I don't, entranced. And she knew about fairy yeah. tales. Okay. She knew. Before we get, like, too too far, just, like, a brief overview for, like, listeners who have not seen the movie, but, like, the the task is to go down to um, this, like, Feast of the Pale Man. He's got this gorgeous, like, spread before him. He ha- His eyes are in front of him, um, but he's otherwise blind. And then she has a choice. She had already retrieved this key from the toad, so she has a choice of, like, three doors where she can put the key and she's sent to retrieve a dagger. So that's her task. She's told not to eat any of the food. Um, Which is just, like... Persephone. Exactly, yeah. And and fairy mythology, too. So she is like the princess of the underworld, so you're already getting some Persephone vibes. And then she's told not to eat the food of the underworld, so like more Persephone stuff. 
Um, yeah, but of course, like, she goes down there, the pale man's there, and she ends up eating, like, a couple grapes, and so the pale man comes to life, and oh, it's so creepy, because, like, yeah, he, he puts... see it happening behind her, he and puts she is the eyeballs into his hands, and, like, holds his hands up by his face, and yeah. that's how he's able to see, and then he begins to chase her, and, you know, she, of course, has to run Very out. slowly, but it's like he just shambles along, yeah. but it's like that whole... Yeah, oh my gosh, that's like the stuff of nightmares, is that it's like, it's not even fast. Like, he's slow, but you know yeah. he's coming. He's like, like one of the slow-moving zombies. Like, you know, you can run, yeah. but not forever. But you can't. Yeah, yeah. you can't hide. And so, yeah. So there's a lot of things. So if he, his um, character design is that he has, like, this, like, flesh kind of hanging off of him. And so yeah, like he's very skinny, but he's also very kind of like wrinkly and yeah, well, it's, so it's, it's <laughs> yeah. the idea that he was once a huge, like a very fat oh person. okay, like a person who gorged himself and let you know, and then something I don't know, you know, we don't know his history, his origin story, but it's like, but it was supposed to evoke the idea that at one point he was full. So if you think of. Um, we talked about it with um, Game of Thrones, and I can't remember the mythology, but it's the character in, in Greek mythology where, like, he was, he ate his own son or something like that, or caused somebody else to eat their child, but he was cursed that he would never be full, like, he would never, um, or everything he ate would taste crappy or oh, something okay. i can't now i can't remember but there's a mythology about yeah, a person who was cursed to like either never yeah. enjoy eating again or oh. never never be full or something like that and so that like that kind of well that's he, interesting because now he's like cursed to kind of sit motionless in front of this gorgeous feast and not enjoy it yeah so. and so the only thing that obviously the only thing that s at least somewhat satisfies him is eating children and so that's that. Oh, right. That's the idea. There's all this artwork all around yeah. of him eating and, like, stabbing children and eating them. And he does, when he comes to life, he manages to, like, snatch a couple of the fairies and, like, bite their heads off. So Because they're poking him and stuff. Like, yeah. Oh, I know, the poor fairies! <sighs> that they're, like, <laughs> trying to help Ophelia. And they're like, no, 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 don't eat the food! Like... Yeah, and she's and like... Then, and she's like... She's, like, swatting whatever. them away like insects. Yeah. Let me get this big grape. Well, was that the... Because she was... She got in trouble from the frog thing. And she... Because her dress got really dirty and she was late to the special dinner party. And she was sent to bed without any supper. And then... Oh, okay. So this is directly after that. So she basically... Well, that's what I was wondering because... So she I mean, was this just... Is kind of the next was, night. So yeah. she must have had breakfast and, and lunch, I guess. But there's that still that idea that... Perhaps she was just really hungry yeah. because, you know, and also like big juicy grapes and this is like wartime. And so like, so some of that food is like, yeah, stuff you're not going to have really, otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, the, it's like the Turkish delight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So the, yeah. So the pale man, I think his like, so it reminds me of that, the curse, like Greek mythology, the cursing of. You know, having to do with eating children and stuff like yeah. that, and I, I'll have to like look and see. <laughs> it was something that we talked about when the Game of Thrones episode, um, but also, yeah. Well, I also think like the hand, the eyeballs on the hands, 
um, comes from some kind of, like, Japanese myth about a creature that was like that. Like, I don't know the details about that either, but, like, I just, I read that when I was reading about this. Yeah, so, there was, there was... So a, they pull, um, they pull from a lot of different sources to get all this mythology. Like, there's a lot of Greek stuff, but there's other stuff, too. Yeah, um, yeah, I think the Japanese tale was, as a man who was, he was murdered, and he, so his, he was, I guess his spirit, um, was trying to find the murderer, but he didn't have eye. like, I don't know if he was killed because, or somehow he lost his sight, and so he would just kill whoever he could reach. So like his hands, so who, so he would reach out, and whoever he touched, he would kill, like mm. hoping hoping that it would be the you know his his murderer. Gotcha. But, so just keep but, killing. So you gotta get it up, right sometime. <laughs> yeah. So he ended up just like killing everybody. Oh. Yeah. But yeah. So there's that, and it's interesting. So in the artwork, the pale man is not at his table. So it's like at some point, yeah, at some point he was wandering around. He was like yeah. running free. What? And okay, and this so the time period you mentioned was like the late. Um, so it's like the late nineteen thirties, and I think they mentioned that it was that they pretty much had won. So this. Yeah, like, I think so this we, film we, we might, might be, like, we 1940. Might, we might be into the 40s at this point. I think there was some kind Maybe of... Maybe it was, like, 40... There was a definite time stamp at the something. beginning. I just don't remember what it was. Um, oh, yeah, it's 1944. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, so, World War Two. Mm-hmm. So, it parallels World War Two, And so there... So, in the Pale Man's Lair, Ophelia sees a pile of children's clothing and shoes and that immediately it made me think of the holocaust oh yeah good point because there were no and there were no other um like so this so the pale man eats every single bit of the of the children mm-hmm. like so that it was there it wasn't a pile of bones or like hair or anything like that it was just their clothing and shoes and yeah, and I like I've, I've been to the Holocaust Museum in DC, and they one of the displays that they had was like a pile of shoes, oh. basically, um, because yeah, shoes would be taken. But so that I I feel like that was a direct, you know, nod to you know a nod, a, and it's a, you know, like she's so she's in this this like fantasy situation, and yet it directly parallels something from the real world that children were being killed Mm -hmm. and yeah and anyway and so but also yeah so Vidal is like the the parallel to this pale man who's just pure evil (laughs) like yeah just yeah just yes purely made to destroy killing innocence yeah exactly and also there's so at one point there well I mentioned so when Ophelia was off doing the frog under the fig tree task the first task Mm -hmm. that was at the time where there was the Vidal was having this like dinner party or like dinner gathering with some important people and um and so there's so there's the parallel to that scene him at the head of the table this like feast table in front of the fireplace and then the parallel to the pale man at the head of a feast table in front of the fireplace. Yes, yes. Like, so it's supposed to 
tell us that they are <laughs> like the same. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the pale man. <laughs> and then yeah, so then she eats. And then also, but the key, like you mentioned, the the three doors and the key, like. So in in an interview with Guillermo del Toro, like he makes a comment that the story is basically about about choice and obedience. Mm-hmm. Like at times it's good and times it's bad. Like it's good to be obedient when people are it's for your best interests, but then it's sometimes it's bad to be obedient if it's to someone like Vidal. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but but it was interesting because. The fawn said that the fairies will show you the way. Like, they'll show you which door to use the key on. And the fairies showed her, like, the middle door. And she was like, no, I think it's this other one. And she was right. And she was right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of interesting. Um, Like, I wonder what would have happened if she... Like, I guess nothing... Because I guess the only way the pale man wakes up is if you eat his food. Right. But it's like... I wonder what would have. Yeah, I <laughs> and then know. I was all thinking of Indiana Jones when she stuck her hand in the. <laughs> she had to like stick her hand really far into the wall, like into the through the door into the stone. To, yeah, like, and it was a dagger that she pulled out. But man, I would have been like stabby stabby. <laughs> <laughs> would you? I don't know. No, I wouldn't. I would just get like because that's out of pretty there. badass to go after that guy. He's. I would have thrown. I would have run. In the I would have run. He's awful. <laughs> but it was that whole suspense that when she's like savoring these really plump sh- like glistening grapes and we see him yeah behind like her, slowly putting his and it's like ah oh, you have plenty of time to get out like, <laughs> yeah and and that she was on a time limit so it's like what i re- like i don't think ophelia really would have done that but it had to but it, that was purely for the the symbolism mm-hmm. that whole scene like Oh my gosh! And then, and the chalk—it's like Harold in the purple crayon. Yeah, exactly. So the, yeah, those are a couple more things. So you that. already mentioned the time limit. So she's got like an hourglass that is the time that she's allowed to be um, that whole scene in oh in gosh. this um, place. And then also, yeah, she uses the chalk to draw a door, and that's also how she gets out. Like she ends up drawing a, a hole in the ceiling that she call, crawls through. So this part, yeah, felt a lot like um, Coraline to me. You know, because there's the. Yeah. Um, there's the little door that she goes through down the hallway into this like alternate world. So that yeah, that felt like that to me. Um, yeah, and chalk, chalk is a symbolic thing too. Like mm-hmm. that's used in a lot of magical um, or fantastical ways. Yeah, to kind of I make mean, a, a portal between worlds. Yeah, or um, wards or um protections or for spells or what you know it's like yeah chalk. drawing well it's pinnacles it's on na- the ground it's <laughs> nature's pencil i guess yeah <laughs> but yeah so chalk like she gets a few sticks of chalk to you know different times yeah but yeah that's cool i like the idea of Coraline too. yeah and vidal finds the chalk later so this is real chalk yeah and like crushes it in his hands and is like Argh. No more doors for you. Right. <laughs> no more magic doors for you. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about the labyrinth, the titular yeah, labyrinth. So, um, labyrinth. so, of course, we've got, like, the story of the Minotaur, um, where mm-hmm. there's 
a labyrinth. Um, at the very end, Vidal's like chasing her through the through the labyrinth. I'm getting like some shining vibes. <laughs> Yeah, from that, because <laughs> he's like kind of drugged at the time. Like she, she managed to drug him before he chases her, and she's running through with her little baby brother, um, and he's like kind of staggering after her, you know. And then she gets stuck. She runs to a dead end, but then like it, it, it opens, it opens her, up yeah. for her. Yeah, and she's able to walk through to the center and meet the fawn. Well, I love yeah. the idea that there's this ancient, yeah, this ancient structure that everybody knows about in the area Mm -hmm. but it's like they don't i guess it's like a grown-up world like they're just like eh, whatever yeah like oh there's this labyrinth here yeah but that would be a really cool place to like (laughs) especially if you're trying to hide out or whatever but it's like and then in the center of it there's this like pit Mm -hmm. with a stairway and it's like why isn't anybody checking this out or like using utilizing this for like the rebels or whatever utilizing this for their base or so it's interest it's interesting because there's this the statue that we talked about before that's that's in the center like down in this pit and then the few scenes that she has with the fawn there like there's a there are like bowls of something like so someone I don't, well maybe it's the fawn that puts them there but it's like it's like a shrine basically so it's yeah, like, does so someone like go there and offer? Yeah, so that's interesting. But yeah, the whole symbolism of the labyrinth. Yeah, we immediately think of Greek mythology, um, but also in like Celtic mythology and and practices and like so the labyrinth is it's kind of like an international um, mythology. I I feel, um, but in some some symbols or some of the symbolism is that it it. Uh, represents a person's journey or like the the path their path in life mm-hmm. um and the, and also can represent wholeness because um some labyrinths or many of the ancient labyrinths their depiction was that it was like a circle with like spirals in it oh, okay and so and that's, but the circle and that's represents like, wholeness that's kind of what the portal looks mm-hmm. like too that like um yeah, exactly. yeah like when it's her a, blood starts flowing okay. through it it is kind of like circular um, yeah, and so that's that's symbolic to this film. You know, it's that it's it's her journey and her path and, and to becoming who she is and her her wholeness. You know, um, it, you know, since she is the the soul of the, it's her like coming home to the the underworld, mm-hmm. her soul. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, the labyrinth. But I love that it's this like ancient structure that is in the real world that like that everybody knows about. And yet, it's not for them. So they just... Like, it's it's for Ophelia. Right, it like, doesn't, like, really come to life until she comes to it. Until yeah. she arrives at it. Because everybody else is just like, meh, whatever. <laughs> like, this thing... It's like, dude, you could use it for, like, tactical advantage or whatever. Like, <laughs> even if you don't believe in, like, fantastical, like, it's still a structure yeah. <laughs> that you can... But anyway. <laughs> and it's like that all over Europe. Like, I feel like we... That's something we really miss out on as Americans. Because, like, our history, well our, like, uh, you know, European history or whatever only goes back, like, 300 years. Whereas in Europe, they've got, like, thousand-year-old structures just, like, hanging out. And, like, we tear stuff down all the time, whereas they, like, keep their historical buildings and so there's there's stuff that's been there for years and years and years. So, yeah, yeah. a lot of um, ancient ancient things that are just part of your, like, regular mundane everyday life. 
Yeah. Yeah, I love that what juxtaposition or that parallel to yeah. that. Um, and, and we didn't, like, we touched on the first task, which was the frog under the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a fig tree, which immediately I think of, like, the scriptures. The fig tree um, is mentioned a few times. Um, and in some cultures, like ancient cultures, it's it's considered, like, the tree of heaven. Oh, okay. Or, um, you know, it, it has a direct correlation to, like, deity or... Um, also, it can be seen as a symbol of, like, plenty, like, peace and plenty and abundance. And so, yeah, so the, I, the whole thing was that there was this frog who was living under the tree and, like, basically sucking the life out of the tree so that the tree hadn't um, borne fruit or, you know, the tree was dying mm-hmm. for, like, a long time. And so her task was to put a stop to the frog so that the tree would be not at the frog's mercy anymore so and then at the very very end of the show at the movie like after she dies and returns to the underworld like the narrator says and like if you look closely like there is some um what's oh what's the word um proof of proof that she had been there like and this shows this little um flower blooming blossoming yeah. on the fig tree yeah so so anyway so just, just really quick to like go back to the first task too like the fig tree symbolism was there and then it kind of came full circle at the end of the film that showed that it was blossoming Aww. so that she really did make a difference I know and, it, I mean I'm glad yeah. it's such a heartbreaking ending but I'm glad we get that like taste of hope you know that like something's yeah. finally good happening to her <laughs> And that it was real. Yeah. Um, shall we get into food? Like, I, I it might kind of overlap with, like, the, you know, mythological stuff we've been talking about with some of it. Um, yes. Let's see. Um, one of the, let's see, I have notes on this, and, like, most of it is kind of chronological. Like, one of the, one of the first food scenes is the captain meeting with a soldier in front of a roaring fire. So you get kind of, like, this devil imagery. Um, and then Mercedes brings yeah. in some bread and some slices of something and then some kind of drink. I yes. know. <laughs> I think, I wonder if it's like chorizo or something. Oh, they okay, yeah. That would be... Because it's like discs. Okay, like it, must, of, it must be something like that. And it that must would, be like sausage. That yeah. would be a good thing to have around because that like keeps well, you know, is preser- preserved. Yeah. So, because um, then the, they later talk about like the kind of stuff they have, um, like they're hoarding all these rations. Um, from people, and they, they list them that's like flour, salt, oil, medicine, olives, bacon, tobacco, bacon. Um, aguardiente, which is some kind of liquor, which li- liquor which I've tried. Um, <laughs> I went to a party one time, and like somebody had a flask of it, and they were just like carrying it around, giving people shots in their mouths from the <laughs> flask. <laughs> so, that was um, interesting. I thought about that. Um, let's see. So early on in the movie, which we kind of talked about the bottle murder. Oh my god! So um, yeah, so I totally had to look. Oh, away. this was yeah. I forgot like just how violent and brutal this movie is because you kind of get caught up. Oh, this is a beautiful fairy tale, and oh my gosh, it's like yeah. so violent at times. But there are only like that one was the worst for me, and then there was like one other with the mouth. Yeah, cutting, the mouth cutting, which was kind of. But yeah. but otherwise, like it was just kind of normal. Yeah, normal bloodshed, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> like not too ceremonious. They just kind of sh- shoot people. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they catch these yeah. people on their land, and um, they think they're spies, or or well. They're not sure, um, but they say, no, we're just here hunting rabbits since you're holding all the food and we don't have any. Um, and they, after they kill them, they're like, oh, they really do have rabbits. You know, they have like a couple small rabbits in their bag. Um, so Vidal gives them to Mercedes and asks her to prepare them for dinner. Um, she says they're too young, so he suggests she makes a stew out of it. Yeah, so. and he's also having some burnt coffee right. at the same time. He says it's burnt. Yeah. Twist it yourself. Yeah, and I think... Like, that whole scene with where... I know it's like we dub it the bottom murder. <laughs> but, like... I think he, like, he kills them also because he is... He was annoyed by of being interrupted. Because at the end of that scene, he's like, Next time you feel like interrupting me or whatever, like, make sure you check their bags Right! Like, 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 I'm like not that. even necessary to be here. You can figure this out on your own, you know? You don't need to yeah. alert me to this or so whatever. So it's like he killed them because he was just annoyed. Yeah, to just <laughs> make a point to his soldiers. Oh, he totally... Yeah. So, totally bashes it to <laughs> skull in. So there are several scenes, like kitchen scenes. So it's Mercedes and then, um, like, a couple of older women. Yeah, and like some cooks down in the kitchen. Yeah. It's like they have their own little world and it's like a nice, a pleasant place to be. Right! Like the kitchen talk and just... This kind of reminds me of... I've been, vegetables I've stuff. been watching, like, the last season of Downton Abbey. <laughs> so this, you know... Yeah, like that. <laughs> this feels like the downstairs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, away um, from all these nuts people um, that they're serving. And they have some, like, actual, like, pleasant banter and, you know... Yeah. They're talking about beef, pigs, chickens... Yeah, yeah, and Mercedes at one point says, don't forget the beans. Right, And then they're, like, yeah. cutting colorful peppers. Like, there are colorful peppers on the table, and there's garlic and the Yeah, chicken. definitely, like, some big, yeah, cloves of garlic and, yeah. Um, yeah. And Mercedes is always cutting potatoes. Always cutting potatoes. That, that knife. And, yeah, you know this. That she keeps in her apron. Right, yeah. so she cleans this knife on her apron, and, like, there's such a focus played to it that, like, you know early on that this knife's going to come into play at some point. Because um, yeah. a couple times they show her chopping potatoes and then cleaning the knife on her skirt. Yeah. So, so that's something that appears on the table often, like big, like boiled potatoes, big chunks of boiled potatoes along with their meat. Mm-hmm. And and then, um, yeah, crusty bread. And, and then um, I think, uh, I should have written, I wrote the quote down, do you want some milk with honey? I don't know if that's Mercedes saying that to, do you remember? Yeah, that's when, um. Is Mercedes saying it to Ophelia? So, Ophelia is wearing her new pretty green dress that, um, her mother is so excited about for this, this party. Because she made it for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, she, and her mother's, like, happy that she's able to give her something nice, even though Ophelia doesn't really care about it. But, you know, um, so she comes to the kitchen in her green dress, and, like, all the servants and Mercedes are like, oh, you look so beautiful. Like, they really fawn over her a lot, um, which is nice. And, yeah, she asks her if she wants some honey with milk. Yeah. So, yeah. And And I imagine, because warm milk and honey is like... (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's... And then that's the scene that it's... It's fresh milk, because then Mercedes and Ophelia are, like, with the cow, and Mercedes is milking the cow. Like, so it's, like, super fresh. Yeah. Frothy, creamy milk with honey. That sounds really good. <laughs> it does. And it it's also just kind of shows, like, Mercedes has kind of, like, a motherly relationship to Ophelia. You know, like, mm-hmm. Ophelia's mother is very sweet, but she's also kind of, like, under the thrall of this 
you know, general or whatever. So Mercedes, yeah, and she's ill, and she's you know she's kind of dealing with this like horrible pregnancy and stuff. So Mercedes really takes Ophelia under her wing and definitely has like a true affection for her. So like offering her something like that is just like really shows her sweetness and that she's taking care of her. Yeah, and I think also just the knowledge that she has of that Ophelia is an an innocent yeah in this situation that is dire. And Mercedes has, like, full knowledge of right, cause, what the I mean, situation is, because she's, like, a secret agent or whatever. Well, not she's a spy, so it's, like, she knows, yeah, the terribleness that Ophelia has been brought into. Right, she's really so, yeah, caught up in this mess. So she's protecting her, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, oh, oh yeah, like, like yeah. just to kind of go down that point, too, that's another parallel between the, um the magical world and the real world that I noticed is like um, the very first time that Ophelia goes to the labyrinth is because she has this like magical book and the fairy comes to her and she she asks the fairy to take her to the labyrinth and then she 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 uses like very much the same language when um, after her mother dies and Mercedes is um, gonna run away like Mercedes comes to her in her bed and like tells her I'm leaving you know this and that I just wanted to tell you goodbye and Ophelia's like take me with you you know so she she she's kind of at the mercy of this fairy at the time and then at the mercy of Mercedes too you like she wants to, mm. to go with her so um yeah yeah it's another parallel yeah the, yeah it's like I want to watch the movie again so <laughs> I can like, I'm sure there's uh, yeah I'm sure closely. there's more that I missed yeah cause like I, I I think that's a new one I picked up on um yeah but yeah, so the, like we mentioned this this feast that um, you know the captain has all these guests to, um, you know Ophelia has gone on her first tasks and comes back completely muddy and stuff. But the dinner looks pretty good. Like there's this huge yeah. like um, clay serving dish that there's like potatoes and greens and meats on, and like there's a servant walking around serving people. Um, there's wine. There's um, looks like there's some kind of like flan or something like that or like these sunken yeah puddings. in the kitchen yeah it shows like a jar of oranges yeah maybe. there's there's so like, yeah there's so there's, maybe they're like syrup and syrup there's fruits and, then and like jars so that's good like we're showing a lot of donuts preserve yeah. preserved foods like the sausage we mentioned yeah. earlier and then these fruits they aren't fresh they're in jars um but yeah they're serving them there's eggs um yeah 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 so it's definitely yeah, it's like it's it's wartime and ration time, and yet there's like this bounty. So again, it's kind of that parallel to the pale man, like his huge feast table. That's right, and, and like the people in power are like you know they do have a yeah, lot of food, having... and they and they keep it locked up in this you know granary or whatever they call it. So yeah, the storehouse. Yeah. So then we have the pale man speech, which we've already talked about, but um, it well chronologically oh did i miss something we have well it's ran- it's <laughs> random the fawn it's so then she goes to see the fawn and he's eating he comes out of the shadows from the you know the pit of the labyrinth and he's like eating some like a slice of roast beef or something oh okay i, I do you remember no, that no i think i missed that and he offers some to the fairies his little fairy friends oh, okay and, <laughs> but it's just like the slice i mean it looks good like a slice of roast beef but <laughs> you know like you do <laughs> yeah so i don't know where like where he it's cooked 
I mean, it looks like it's cooked. So it's like, where did Haven? Like, why would they? So I wonder what that's all about. Because it's like, what's the? Why would you even need to? But it adds something to the scene for him to be. Like he appears munching on like a, a random slice. Right, slice and that's sort of, of meat, an interesting like, choice. You know, I would I would think like if he's munching on something, it would be like a piece of fruit or something. You know, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's interesting. Because you wouldn't think. I guess yeah. Oh, I guess fawns are omnivores. Like in Percy Jackson and stuff, it's like they're eating tin cans because they equate them to goats, goats. and stuff. <laughs> like they eat random things. Or you imagine like. I don't know, just imbibing all the time, if you think of, like, Bacchus and, right. you know, and all that. But it's like, yeah, he's eating around. Anyway, so. Oh, that's interesting. Just the fact that that scene exists. There we go. That's, like, slice me. <laughs> slice I'm going to have to go back and watch um, that, because I completely don't remember that. Um, yeah, and then they yeah. talk about the daily rations. So they give people the ration cards. And they're like, in the United Spain, there is not a single home without fire or bread. And right, and they're like calling a, it the, the thing that they keep re- the, repeating. The bread yeah. of Franco, yeah, so. Yeah. So thank this fascist dictator for your bread. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah, specifically on, like, the, the pale man's table, we've got, like, some kind of big ham with pineapple. It looks like yeah. Well, I think it's old... a it's a roast. Oh, I think okay, it's maybe like a roast. roast sirloin. But it's definitely got pineapple on. or a child. Maybe no, a I roast child with pineapple. He would have eaten that already, though. Yeah, <laughs> but there's lots of fruits, and you definitely see some pomegranates. So that's like back to Persephone, and then like yeah. a lot of like gelatin molds. <laughs> so I think just because that looks pretty, you know, but it, but also like everything here is very like fruity and whatever, which and and, yeah. and fresh, which you're not really getting during the war, and then like so a, you know it's enchanted. Yeah, yeah, and there's like a bunch of silver pitchers like all over the table, so like you know some kind of drinks or whatever. Yeah, so the so the imagery, yeah, it's this huge, like gorgeous, uh, bountiful feast on this long table, and then you'll notice that the the colors, it's all like reds and, and oranges purples and, and yeah, yeah, and and so and with the jellies, like these red jellies, and so the the thing that they were going for, I think, was especially with all the red, was blood. Yeah, that like makes that sense. So that's you know, to kind of, so you have that in your mind, Mm -hmm. like it's, it's gorgeous, but then also the undertone is, like the aesthetic is like, and they use the color palettes too, to kind of differentiate between like the magical stuff and the, um, the real stuff, because like the real world is very like blue tinted, you know, and so I think Mm -hmm. like the magical stuff is very warm and, you know, rosy. Yeah. Like to a gruesome point <laughs> sometimes <laughs> yeah yes. and then the only other thing i have let's see um you know mercedes is chopping potatoes again always chopping potatoes mm-hmm. um she brings milk in a bun on a tray to Ophelia's mother who's sick in bed yeah milk in a bun yeah and then we finally get the payoff to this knife and also like a good food quote which um you know mercedes right before she cuts vidal tells him he won't be the first pig she's gutted yeah, so, yeah. Ugh, and then she gives him like half Joker face. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, that was pretty pretty gross, but yeah. And then and yeah. they find chorizo when they go through her pack. They find the chorizo in her pack, right? Yeah, and tobacco. Yeah, yeah. She... And what is it? Orujo or O R U J O? Let me look that up. That's something else that she takes. Well, to the... that was what it. She says aguardiente, which is the same 
think. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, Pomace brand. Yeah, like I think in the su- okay. in the subtitles it said whatever, whatever you just said, but in the movie she says. Yeah, yeah. So I can only rely on subtitles, but yeah. So she, so she takes to the men and like earlier before she's caught. It's yeah, that like brandy and then tobacco and cheese. Yeah. So, for men in hiding, mm-hmm. they need cheese. And so this is an interesting because like it is during wartime, so we're getting a lot of preserved foods. But even in like you know present day, um, like Spain, preserved foods are kind of their thing. You know, like so like. Chorizo is really mm-hmm. famous. Um, they do like a lot of seafoods and tins and stuff like that, like you know sardines and whatnot. Um, they're just like really famous for this type of preserved food. Yeah. So. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and one more thing about the pale man. Um, so this is kind of like really random, but we were talking about like blood and stuff. Anyway, but when he. So, and you were talking about they did, like, practical effects. So, when the pale man ate the fairies, or, like, bit off the fairies' heads, in reality, it was, um, the guy had to, like, bite condoms filled with (laughs) to get that gratuitous, like, Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. So, there we go. Oh, it was kind of gruesome, and there was, like, crunchy noises and stuff. I know, I know. Yeah, sorry. I know we keep going back to the pale man because it's all about the pale man. It really is because, like you know, like I said, I think it is the most memorable scene. Like when I when I think of this movie, I think about that because it was it's like the the juxtaposition of like all the fantasy world with the kind of gruesomeness of it is all kind of wrapped up in this scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we get into our recipes, I just briefly want to mention um, that I watched The Devil's Backbone oh, yeah, yeah, last yeah. night, um, which I had never seen before. So I've seen Pan's Labyrinth now several times, but I had never seen The Devil's Backbone, which is also a Guillermo de Toro film um, made in, like, I think Pan's Labyrinth is, like, what, 2005, 2006, something like that. Um, Let's see. Yeah, 2006. Okay, De- Devil's Backbone is 2001, and he says uh, it's a sister movie because it takes place, like, kind of right in the middle of the Spanish Civil War, whereas um, mm-hmm. Pan's Labyrinth is afterwards. And, um, like, there's a ton of parallels between the movies. Like, first of all, stylistically, they're very similar. Like, they have the same font as the subtitles. Um, they have the same narrator. He's a character in both movies, actually. It's, um, he's, like, this kind of benevolent doctor in The Devil's Backbone, and he is the king slash... Uh, Ophelia's father at the very end of the movie. Oh. Yeah, so it's the same same actor. And then also, um, the bad guy in Devil's Backbone is um, actually Mercedes's brother in Pan's Labyrinth. So, same actor there, too. Um, but the stories are very similar. Like, they're both about children. Like, it's a little boy in The Devil's Backbone um, and obviously a little girl in Pan's Labyrinth. But, like, they've both lost their parents in different situations having to do with the war, um, and are having to learn to do some very grown-up things. And this kind of touches on that, like, um, we talked about this, um, during Spirited Away, um, like, children without their parents are kind of forced into these situations where they they have to make decisions. Um, Mm -hmm. so this is kind of, um, part of that, too. Like, this, this little boy loses his, um, 
parents and then is left at this orphanage. And then the whole um, thing with the Devil's Backbone is that it's a ghost story. Um, but one thing that um, they pointed out in both is the first time the ghost appears in the Devil's Backbone and the first time the fairy appears in Pan's Labyrinth, it's daytime. Um, even though most of the magical stuff in both of these movies takes place at night, like, it was very deliberate to make these things happen in the daytime because, like, magic is a very real part of these worlds and it's woven through everything. It's not just, like, a trick that happens, you know, in the dead of night or whatever. It's, it's mm -hmm. very much a part of the world. Um... Like, some of the Im imagery's the same. Like, we get some, um, like, fetal imagery, <laughs> which you see in both, because, yeah, in Pan's Labyrinth, you get the, the image of her little baby unborn brother as a fetus, um, yeah. and they have some, like, babies in jars and the devil's backbone. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's pretty gross. Um, but, um, yeah, so th there are some, some parallels between them, and I think, um, also, part of it was a commentary about how things had changed during the war like things were very much different before the fascists were in power and so you see kind of the before and after of it in these two different mm. movies yeah so um yeah i recommend seeing it. it was pretty good it's not like pan's labyrinth is one i will i will watch over and over again this one is like i'm glad i saw it but i'm probably not gonna come back to it <laughs> gotcha it's pretty creepy <laughs> but um shall we talk recipes yeah, oh, and I wanted to... Oh, no, go sorry. ahead, go ahead. There's just one other thing about the Pale Man, so it kind of goes... The Pale Man! Oh, my God! I know, no, this is the last thing i No, no, I'm no, it's say okay, he's just gonna... About him. ...be a part but, of our lives. So, yeah. so the fairies, yeah, they were condoms filled with blood, but that whole, that imagery, and also the, um, just the fact that he eats children was, was inspired by, um... Goya, that famous Goya painting of um, Saturn devouring his children. Oh, so in the okay. Greek mythology, Cronos yeah. um, or Saturn, yeah, ate his children. So that's that's also where that like imagery came nice. from. Nice. Anyway, okay. The end. Pale man. No, that's good because that's like it's like he's the scariest part for me, and but I keep talking. That's, well, that's, <laughs> my, that's my a, mind keeps that's like a Greek and a Spanish tie-in right there. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. Go away, pale man. Let's talk. So Be gone. Let's talk about. You have a recipe for grapes for I sparkly do. grapes. Yeah. So right? I did this before. So this is on my Witchy Kitchen blog. Um, I did a recipe for um, sugared grapes. So this is kind of back to the pale man, like kind of inspired by like the, oh yeah the um. Never mind. Ah! He, he'll just never go away. We should just accept this. He's oh just going to yeah, be ever-present. Well, these are grapes that... <laughs> it should be like... Don't worry. If you eat these grapes, the pale man right. will not... <laughs> right, right, right. You don't have to... If you eat Carrie's Well, I don't grapes, know. Maybe there, there's... Maybe Carrie will come after There's you. like a fun danger that goes along with eating <laughs> these, these grapes. You know, you never know what's going to happen. But yeah, they're super simple. It's just like a bunch of grapes. And you basically just like coat them with egg white and then like coat them with sugar and you know shake them oh, off so that's like how you do the edible flour exactly exactly so too. they're just basically cool. sugared grapes um the only thing i would say is like they're super simple to make but they do not save well so like make them mm. for a group and you can just eat them all in one sitting yeah yeah but yeah they're they're easy to make and they're very pretty you know because like the sugars are sparkly and stuff and so it does kind of 
give you that. What kind of, do you use a special kind of sugar or just and just regular I like? I think granulated? I use just granulated sugar. Yeah, so I like mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah, nothing special. Just like an egg and sugar is all you need to make these. Nice. You can use any type of grapes. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's something I made before. Um, specifically for this, I think you and I did like very similar dishes. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, we both did kind of like stewy stuff. You want to talk about your cacciatore? Yeah, my kitchen cacciatore. Just kidding. It's chicken cacciatore. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes I slip up and say kitchen cacciatore. <laughs> but, yeah, so this was my first time making a cacciatore. And so some of the scenes where um, their food is shown, the food is shown on the table um, in the real world, not the pale man. <laughs> Because my first thought was, oh, that, like, that roast that has the pineapple rings and cherries, like, that, but, but no. Well, like, that looks no pretty good. Okay. That's another good idea I know, for right? recipe. Yeah. <laughs> for the um, But the cacciatore, so because of the, like, colored peppers, there was, like, a, a, one or two scenes that showed, like, a, a bone-in chicken dish that had, that was surrounded, like, with the colorful peppers and... Anyway, so I was like, oh, that is that cacciatore? And so I went with that. Excellent. <laughs> and, but I made, so I made mine with um, bits of chorizo because chorizo was mentioned in the film. Um, and also olives were mentioned. And so I wanted to, you know, kind of put, put some of that in there. Because I, because cacciatore, there are like a lot, many different ways that you can make it, and many different ingredients. But of mm-hmm. course, the basic is like bo- some kind of bone-in chicken, whether it's whole chicken or I use chicken thighs, um, and then like there's tomato that needs to go in it. But otherwise, like you could put a, a bunch of other things in it. Yeah, Spiches, and um, chorizo. stuff with kind of like regional flair too. You know, because you've got like probably yeah. Italian versions and Spanish yeah. versions, and yeah. And I did so I French, put. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I put the colored the colored peppers in there, um, which was very pretty, and a green bell pepper, and then I did some like a, some mixed mushrooms, because I'm like oh, surely, yeah. sure like they go just go in, in the woods. And, yeah, like, like that's a foragable step out item. in the woods and they might go have grab had. some. Yeah, yeah, and then Kalamata olives because they had some olives in the storage, um, and then yeah, crushed tomatoes and um, like a little little cherry tomatoes or grape tomatoes in there as well um but yeah i think the the chorizo was really cool or or any kind of similar um like sausage like that um so i just sliced it and fried it up just a little bit and then uh, put that so i fried it I fried it in parts and then put it all in a baking dish because i don't have one of those awesome like uh, f- pots slash oven worthy dishes like <laughs> it's like oh I need to get one of those after making this I was like oh I need to I saw that I was wanting but anyway so I just used a big pan fried up the stuff and then put it in a baking dish and then baked it um, so that so it would get really nice and jive together and the chicken top was like a little crispy mm. um yeah, so I really enjoyed it, and then so, but I served it with um, like crusty bread. Um, my husband ate it with some rice, um, 
So, but then, and I was, I also got some potatoes, but I was like, nah, I don't want to. <laughs> so, but you can also like serve it with potatoes. Yeah, so it just was some kind of starch. So, starch, yeah. Yeah, but those were different, different things, uh, especially the the bread. Like there was always a lot of bread in the film, like in all the food right. scenes, like some kind of like crusty bread. And I really liked that the bread because then you could dip it in the like tomato sauce broth, and I put like a cup of chicken broth in, or you could use a cup of wine. Like white wine mm-hmm. or something. So, but yeah, so it has kind of a nice sauce, perfect for dipping. Nice. So that's what I made. That sounds delicious. Yeah. And sounds very similar to what I made. Because <laughs> I, I also did a chicken stew to serve with crusty bread. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, also with red peppers too. Um, so I guess not like a chicken cacciatore per se, but like, okay, the whole point of this is I was going to make rabbit stew. Um, I've never made rabbit before, and, you know, it's obviously, like, a prominent part of this movie. Um, my friend has made rabbit before. Like, you know, I, I mentioned before, like, on our Game of Thrones episode that, like, we used to do all these potlucks, and we, um, you know, would do, like, regional regions of Westeros <laughs> potlucks, and she had made um, rabbit for, for one of them, and I was like, ooh, neat. So I had, I, that's the first time I ate it, and then I wanted to try it for this. Well, apparently in between that time and this time, they have stopped selling rabbit at my, like, normal grocery store, and I went out, like, in search of it yesterday, and I went to, like, three or four different places and could not find it. So, um, mm. I, I haven't tried, like, the little boutique butcher shops here, and I'm sure, like, they have it at one of them. Or, where I'm planning to go is the, um, the farmer's market, because I, I do think they sell it there. Um, mm. but because of, like, you know, procrastination, I did not do this. So, I'm like, okay, I can't find rabbit. I'm gonna make the same recipe with, um, chicken thighs, which is what I did. So, um, chicken thighs. Yeah. So, yeah, we both got chicken thighs stews going on here. Um, <laughs> so mine, yeah, like mine's a little different. Um, no tomatoes, but it sounds like it's pretty similar otherwise. So, um, what I did is, um, just use some olive oil and flavored it with, um, like seared a little bit of lemon on there. And, um, mm. this is something like a, a trick I learned, which is pretty cool, is like if you sear the lemon skin or whatever, you get like a really good lemony flavor throughout the thing that's not as like sharp as the juice you know so it's not like squeezing lemon juice oh. in at the end yeah you can like because like the oils activate and stuff like that and they kind of go into the olive oil and stuff and so you kind of cook it into your dish um so that's what I did like I put a couple of like slices of lemon with the skin um and then uh brown the chicken and then um, put, like, chili flakes, garlic, paprika, which is, like, a, you know, quintessential mm. Spanish flavor, um, cute little red pearl onions, and, um, roasted red peppers, and then I did cook mine with, um, with wine, and I used, um, Abarino wine, which is a, um, Galician wine, and, um, actually, earlier when you were talking about the, um, like, the labyrinth and the, you know, kind of Celtic symbolism, that's pretty interesting because, like, Celts also lived in Galicia, which is the north of Spain. So, like, I'm sure there's, like, some of that influence going on. So, anyway, like, this tu- this turned out pretty good, and I served it with crusty bread. Um, so, um, I do eventually want to make it with rabbit, but if you make it with chicken, it's, like, a really just nice one-pot meal. Kind of similar to what you made. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah because, ch- I mean, chickens were mentioned a few times... Or, yeah, yeah so, they, yeah, they were so. definitely eating chickens, too. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, I was just interested, yeah, interested to try Rabbit, because, like, I'm always, like, you know, excited to try new things, but they're not always... And I'm like, not, no way, because like, no. once <laughs> I was in the store, and I saw Rabbit in the meat freezer, and but they were just, like, perfectly shaped oh, rabbit yeah. bodies, but without their skin. They're super and I was creepy like, looking. Eh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, yeah, back back when, you know, this Game of Thrones potlucks that we ate the rabbit at, it, it is kind of like, it was cut into pieces, but, like... You can definitely tell it's, like, something. Because, like, the bones are very long and thin, you know? And then you have, like, the meat on it or whatever. So it is kind of a little bit weird. Yeah. I Like, I think I've had rabbit before. Yeah. Like, but I can't remember. It was, like, little, what, medallions mm. of, of rabbit in, like, a stew. Maybe. It was when I was in a foreign country and, like, the dish was in the shape of a rabbit. And maybe I've mentioned this on Oh, I don't think so. Where, episode, where were like, you? And where where did they do this? I was in Bruges. Oh, um, Belgium? Which is, yeah, it's called the Venice of the North. Oh. It's a wonderful little place. Nice. I've never been there. And, I've never been to Europe, yeah, period. <laughs> so I think I have eaten rabbit, but it was not in the shape of rabbit. <laughs> so <laughs> when there were no bones, like, it was like a well, I guess it maybe would have been like what what you might make yeah. eventually whenever you find. Rabbit. Well, this yeah, it, this it was one like a stew kind of. You could either cook it like in pieces on the bone, which is probably how I would cook it because I like to cook bone and stuff because you know uh, your bro- okay. your broth gets really nice. But my plan with this is yeah. like then after after it's like completely cooked and tender and stuff, you can take the pieces out and like shred the meat and then put it back into the stew. So yeah. that was my plan with this because, like, I cook a lot of, like, bone-in stuff, like, Pakistani dishes, but it's easy to mm-hmm. eat because you're, like, eating with the naan, so you can kind of, like, get the meat off the bone. Whereas with this, you know, you would eat it with a spoon or whatever, so it's, like, it'd be kind of better if the meat was already taken off the bone. Yeah. But, like, cooked with the bone so you get the nice, like, brothy flavor and stuff, but then kind of, like, you know... um disassembled so it's easier to Those eat. Those poor bunnies. Oh. <laughs> I know. Well, okay. Yeah, the the whole reason they don't sell them at like um Harris Teeter anymore, which is where I would normally buy them, um is cuz like an animal rights group had like protested. Oh, really? And I'm like, well, it's like so I, I feel bad that I'm even looking. So I like chickens too. Yeah. But it's something about but chicken is so common. Yeah, it I is guess. like that it's just and something like, you're not used to because it's no better or worse than any other like factory farmed animal yeah. that we eat all the time. So you can't really like protest one over another. I think they just kind of gave up because nobody was buying their rabbits anyway. So Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, the rabbit for the film like yeah, rabbit is uh, kind of an important dish because of yeah because of the because of the bottle, bottle murder, murder. <laughs> <laughs> so make it even more gruesome yeah <laughs> well alrighty we will post these recipes for chicken stews um, on our website fictionkitchenpodcast.com yeah, and you can find us on other social medias on twitter we are at fkpod and then we're also on tumblr facebook and instagram at fiction kitchen podcast yeah and just a side note like instagram finally updated it where you can like switch accounts easily so i'm actually going to start posting on our instagram which i haven't in a while <laughs> Because it's such a pain. Yay, well, it's such a pain to yeah. such a pain to sign into. Like I haven't been updating it, but I'm going to start updating it. So Instagram's about to get active. So okay, you're a good example because I need us. to start updating our Tumblr and <laughs> Facebook. <too. laughs> 
Yes, yeah, so they exist. We have accounts on those things. Yeah. And hopefully, in the near future, they will. <laughs> we'll try to be more active because it is it is fun to share stuff and interact with yeah. people. So. But tw- so far, Twitter is like the best way to yeah. really interact with us. So. Find us on Twitter. Yeah, but even not as much. And comment on our website. Yeah, comment <laughs> on our website, please, because yeah, we'd love to talk to you. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. Yeah. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye.